During World War II, Sergeant Bobby Shafto of the United States Marine Corps takes on a secret mission to convince the Nazis that Allied forces have not cracked their Enigma machine code. In 1990, his granddaughter Amy becomes romantically involved with Randy Waterhouse, a software engineer attempting to build a data haven in the fictional country of Kinakunta. Math, Japanese gold, cryptographic technique, military adventure, techno thriller intrigue, and subtle yet snarky humor all combine in Neil Stevenson's not-quite-a-science-fiction science-fiction novel Cryptonomicon, possibly the only novel ever to accurately and poetically describe what it feels like to eat Captain Crunch. Our discussion starts now. You are listening to Just In Case We Die. On this podcast, two friends are attempting to read and discuss all 1,316 books to ever appear on Peter Boxall's list of 1,001 books you must read before you die. We urge you, please, do not attempt to do the math on whether or not that is actually possible. My name is Aaron. I'm joined by my friend Rodney. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, and uh, math is a good comment to make with this book. <laughs> There's a lot of math in this book. If you listen to our introduction, and I'm sure at this point that you probably have, uh, you know that our first book for discussion was uh, Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. It is a big, fat, 910-page bastard. <laughs> He's a chunky boy. <laughs> we, we, we jumped right out of the gate with this massive, massive, massive book. I actually contemplated, instead of putting our list in alphabetical order, putting the list in order of uh, how long they were. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> just, and then just oh. starting at the top and going down. We can get. We would never get to all the really big books. <laughs> no. no, we would not. <laughs> there are 1,316 books on the list. We are going to attempt to discuss and dissect our first selection, which, as we've already said, was Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. Before we get to that, there's a few housekeeping things that Rodney and I think that we should get out of the way. Um, I got a lot. I, 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 in our first episode, you and I both talked about how excited we are about this various venture. And what I discovered from all the feedback that I personally got is I think there's a lot of other people that are also excited about this as well, yes, which makes me feel really, really good. Yeah. I'm always a little surprised when people like actually give a shit what I have to say about yeah. anything. I'm like, oh, you, got, you actually want my opinion? All right, cool, great. Happy to give it. But I've got friends. I've got a couple friends I know that are reading this book now uh, because... I know someone as well. And it, mm-hmm. it makes me happy. Like, look, you know... You're, you're getting in the spirit of it. They decided that they wanted to read the book so they would at least have an idea of what we were talking about when they listened to us talking. And see if we were just making shit Com- Completely up. off base. Yeah. Speaking of which, when we record The Devil's Archive, we always save our social media stuff at the ending, and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle for this podcast because I think we're doing a book discussion. So discussion is key. Yeah. Love to have feedback and people read absolutely so we're gonna we're gonna get all the out of the way in the very beginning and we don't have the social media set up the way that we do for devil's archive right now we have a facebook page yes you can search just in case we die on facebook you can uh, join and you can communicate with us through facebook um we do have the web page set up 
which is www.justincasewedie.com. Easy you can, to remember. It, very easy to remember. If you can remember the name of the podcast, you can remember the name of the of the webpage. Uh, but there, you can leave comments or you can email us through there. Or you can email us directly at justincasewediepod at gmail.com. And you also, we are on Goodreads. Oh, yes, that's right. We set up, we set up, you can search Just In Case We Die on Goodreads. Um, uh, there's a group there. There's a group there as well. Part of this, Part, part, of, part of the fun for this in this for me would, would be having these discussions. We're going to talk about this book. If you guys have read it or you have opinions or you think that we're wrong or you have insights, we want to hear about it. Uh, you can message us. And in fact, at the end of today's episode, we are going to pick our next book. And this would, everything that I'm saying right now applies to the next book as well. You don't have to wait until the episode drops. We're going to pick a book tonight. If you have an opinion on that book or something to say, let us know. We, we, we want to hear from you. We want to include you in the discussion as much as we can. Yes, I, uh, I actually went to a bookstore briefly today with some friends, and it is just so much fun to go to a bookstore with friends that are avid readers. I'm like, have you read this? Have you read this? And to get these recommendations. And uh, with that said, housekeeping, I do... It is very important. One of the questions that I got a lot was wanting to know about our content. They were wanting to know, if I haven't read the book and I'm interested in reading the book, is it okay to listen to your podcast? So I'm, I, I'm going to put this this way. We're going to discuss a book. Yeah. We're not going to be able to avoid spoilers. Not, not only are we discussing a book, but we're discussing a book that t- today, the, the Cryptonomicon was written, published, first published in 1999. Uh, we, 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 we can't yes. shy away from spoilers. We can't. Yes. So, episodes will not be spoiler-free. And this but is one we of are, the more contemporary books. This is one of the more contemporary books on the list. But we are also not Cliff's Notes. Okay? So, we're not going to do a plot synopsis. We're not going to go through, you know, the major themes and describe all the characters individually and answer essay questions. And, you know, if you are assigned Cryptonomicon in a college-level literature class you are not going to get the answers for your final from our podcast <laughs> no, don't, don't write your paper based on us. don't write your paper based on what we have to say with that said Rodney this book was a big son bitch it was how long did it take you to read it uh, you know what I read this one in about a month it took me about a month it, it took me about three and a half weeks yeah uh, um, I tried to keep myself on a schedule on this one I was like I'm um, Tried to read about 30 pages a night at least. I, 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 I stayed pretty steadily with it. I tried initially to kind of try to read something else and then try to read this, but I just, I, I, I kept not, I kept not trying to, to, to balance the two books out. With that said, the first thing I did when I finished this book is grab another book to start reading. Yes, <laughs> yes I did. I re- I, last year I did a whole thing where I I set a goal of how many books I was going to read and, and I you know and I kept track of those you, you, you follow me on Facebook so I kept track of all those books and, and I and I, you know I kept track of the, all of them on Goodreads and what I realized is that reading f- books for the podcast is going to distinctly keep me away from quote unquote reading for pleasure <laughs> I think there can be a mix of both I think this one was one that was a mix of both um, I set a pretty lofty girl uh, goal last year uh, I didn't set it I jumped in on a reading challenge with some friends of a hundred and that included graphic novels counted as one mm-hmm. and uh, audiobooks which right. you, know, you know I'm an avid audiobook yeah. guy 
I came close. Yeah. I think I finished with 82 last year or so. But there was a lot of those graphics. See, and I set myself a reasonable goal of 40. Yeah. And I also included graphic novels. And then sort of set my reading list so that I could get way ahead of the game. And then saved all the long books for the end. Yeah. And at the end of the year, I ended up doing 45 books. So I, I beat my goal. Yeah. I beat my goal. I didn't set a goal this year because I'm going to read at least 12 books this year yeah. for the, 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 the months of the year. And with that said, if they all end up being 910 pages, <laughs> I may not have time for much. You, you might have to join me on the audiobook train. <laughs> I decided that what I was going to do when we pick our book, I'm going to start reading. And I'm just going to read it and get it out of the way. And then I have the rest of the remainder of time before we record episodes to read whatever I want to read. So what what did you grab after Cryptonomicon? Okay, that's interesting. There is a science fiction series. It's called the Wayfarers series. And it's I've written by a woman named Becky Chambers. I've heard of this. She had been touted. I've been, I've been reading a lot about her. Uh, they keep talking about how she's basically invented a new genre of science fiction that they're referring to as hope punk. This is very optimistic science fiction. The first book in the series is called A Long Journey to a Small Planet. Was that the name of the book? Oh, I, I can't recommend a book if I don't know the name of it, right? Say. It's called A Long Journey to a Small Planet. So you nailed it. I finished the first book, and I really liked it. I, it, it has flaws that I didn't like, but I really liked the book. So then I started into the second book of that series, which is called A Closed and Common Orbit. And if the first book is a four-star book, the second book is a five. It, it's great. The series is basically, it, it's, it's basically sort of a Gene Roddenberry futuristic vision. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I don't want to say a mining vessel. It's an, it's an outer intergalactic. They, what they do is they bore holes to create black holes so they're they're, they're 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 it's a drilling vessel they create black holes so they can create intergalactic travel paths the crew is a mixture of different not just races but different species there's different alien species so the crew is a one of the one of the things that I, I often I, and I hate saying this because I, I don't really like the word so much but one of the things that I had been reading about the book was for science fiction is how woke it is how uh, how you know currently current political climate conscious it is and you know there's a lot in there there's 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 science fiction allegories it's a science fiction allegory for transgenderism Which science fiction is great for science fiction is great for and so with that said I appreciated that aspect of it and then yeah so I read the first book and then I moved on to the second one and now I'm scared that our next book is going to be 910 pages I know <laughs> So I, I actually, and I'm not going to do this every book. I, I tried this this time, and I was like, you know what? No, I read Cryptonomicon. I picked up Cryptonomicon on audio, which, by the way, 42 hours. Mm. So I read the book and listened to the book. I'm going to go forward, and I'm just going to read the book um, because you find yourself when you're reading the book and listening to the book, like I was trailing with the audiobook version. I kind of spaced out a little bit listening because it was like I just read this like last week. So um, I finished Cryptonomicon on audio and I started and I finished The Great Hunt, the second book in the Wheel of Time series. Wheel of Time series, yes. And in a shocking turn of events, I hope you're sitting down, 
I'm currently listening to Victory City by Salman Rushdie. Oh, you're listening to the new Rushdie. Yes. We okay. saw, my wife and I were at the book a bookstore the other day, and I saw Victory City there, and I picked it up to look at it. It looks like a very interesting book. It's, it's and, very... And uh, my wife actually said, isn't that Rodney's favorite writer? Like, <laughs> yeah, she are, uh, he is one of my favorites. Um, as far as reading, oh, I can't even remember the name of the, the is it The Dark Forest, I think? Book three in the uh, Three Body Problem trilogy. Yes, yes, which I which you have recommended to me a hundred times. I've bought it and I've never touched them. Yeah, yeah. I bought two more books in Barnes and yeah. Noble. I'm like, why? I don't. <laughs> but I got them. So I'm reading that and I'm listening to Victory City. So that's where I'm at now. And then uh, I'm kind of reading the Department of Truth graphic novel. Okay, yeah. See, graphic novel-wise, I've been going back and I've been reading The Flash. So I've started from the beginning. That checks. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, right? Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> So, Cryptonomicon by yes. Neil Stevenson. Um, this seems like a weird place to start this conversation. If you were to give this book a letter grade, or uh, we won't say letter grade, we'll say one star. Every book gets one star. One, I really hated this book, it's a piece of shit. And five stars, I think everybody should read this book. How would you rate this book? I'd give this four, three and a half to four stars. Uh, I love Neil Stevenson. This is a good book. Uh, there's some stuff in here that's really interesting. Like, I read this, because you and I have both discussed, we've read this one mm -hmm. before, and I know probably a lot of people are out there thinking, oh, did you cheat on the draw? Yeah, no, no, we no. did not. This was <laughs> fortuitous. But there were parts of this book that surprised me, because it, I just, it didn't register when I read it shortly after it came out, um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. It, it. It's funny that you say that, because I read the book on Kindle. And I actually had a moment while reading it of not being sure if I had actually finished the book last time. But as I got further into the book, I could see spots in the Kindle where I had marked things. Oh, okay. That, that I, I like a line of dialogue, because a, a line of a wording, because Neil Stevenson's got some truly funny stuff in this he book. He really does. I've... There's actually a bit of this book, if you'll indulge me later, I want to read out loud, because I think it's hysterically funny. And I, I feel like I know what part that's going to be. You want to guess? I do. Okay. It's just because of the intro. I'm going to go with that. It. It's Captain Crunch. I am going to. I am going to read out loud the 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 description of what it feels like to eat Captain Crunch. I think it is a beautiful. It's just, well, like one. No writer in the history of ever has ever did, <laughs> written about Captain Crunch in such a poetic manner. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I'm go, I'm going to read that part aloud because I think it's really great, and I think that section of the book really gives a feel of what Neil Stevenson is like. Yeah. Um, I had a friend, I was I was actually talking to her yesterday, who said that she was reading Cryptonomicon and she was almost done with it. And I told her during that conversation that, 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 that I think it's a five-star book. And she kind of scoffed. She says, five stars? And I had to concede that I, th I think for me, five stars is everybody needs to read this book. So I'm going to go where you are, and I'm going to give it four stars as well. I think this book is great. I This is a really good book. I did enjoy it a lot. This book is not for everybody. No. And that needs to be made clear from the get-go for, for anybody who is interested in reading this book based on anything that we say. This book is not for everybody. It is, it is dense. There is a lot of math. A lot of math. Neil, yes. Neil Stevenson is obsessed with math. There's yeah. lots of mathematics. An anthem. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got a book called Anathem that I, I had started on and I put down because I did the, the math. 
is insane. It, 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 the math is insane. So, with that said... Fun fact, though. Did you know that he lived in Champaign-Urbana for a while? Because I, I did not we, know we that. We saw that, and I had actually said that I thought he was born in Champaign-Urbana. He's not born in Champaign-Urbana, but they did move to Champaign-Urbana when he were? was very little. And for those of you that don't know, Champaign-Urbana is the town that Rodney and I record every end. We, this is where we live. Yeah, uh, right yeah. down the street so, from the University of Illinois, and apparently his teacher, his that, parents were professors his there. His parents were professors there, yeah. And so he lived uh, he lived here in Urbana when he was a, when he was a young child. Interesting. I, I was like, I thought that was pretty. That? I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe I didn't uh, know that though. I know he's Seattle. Yeah. Seattle's the first city I always connect to Neil Stevenson. Yeah, that's where I just saw yeah, him. Yeah. I just yeah. I just assumed that was where he's from and where he grew up. Um. We really need to tell people what this book is about, and I have to say, a lot. It's about a it's lot. It's about a lot. But a basic plot synopsis is also kind of daunting. This book is essentially, well, there's, there's, th- I'll say three storylines going on in this book that converge. Would you you'd agree with that? I think so. If I if we're thinking the same three storylines, yes. The gist, well, two of those storylines all take place in the same time period, you're which would be during Lawrence. World War Two. Yeah, you're talking Lawrence and Bobby. Look, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Waterhouse and Bobby Shafto. They are, well, Lawrence Waterhouse. Is uh, he's a computer genius, and they help, and they wasn't well, really computer genius because mathematical, ma- mathematical genius. But he becomes involved with Alan Turing. Yes, Alan Turing is a character in the book, and Alan Turing, they're all sort of responsible for the creation of the Enigma machine that breaks the Enigma code. Yes, right. I'm following. I'm following yes. this book correctly. In World War II, they had a machine. It was it was code, it was the Enigma code. It was a Nazi code that nobody could break. Well, in this book, they have broken the code, but they don't want the Germans to know that they've broken the code. So they have a detachment of military individuals. They're a detachment. What were they? Uh, well, there's a long, there's a running joke throughout the book because it starts out as Detachment Twenty Seven Hundred One. And they make him change it to 2702 because 2701 is prime numbers and Alan Turing would figure that out. Yeah. Right. So Rudy, Rudy Von Rudy Von Hackelberg or whatever his name is. Who was friends with Alan Turing. Yeah. yeah. He, he would figure out that it was a prime number. One moment. of his lovers, actually. So the whole purpose of this detachment is that they are intentionally doing things to make the Germans think that we didn't break the code. The, they are actively sending the military out to do nothing. to go to cabins in the woods and burn the place down just just for the sake of burning the place down because when the Germans find out that they burned the place down they're going to say ha ha they didn't figure out our code it's it's very funny actually (laughs) there's a lot of of, like funny little quips in here mirroring this would be in 1990 there is a, his name is uh, Randy Waterhouse, and his grandfather is Lawrence Water. Waterhouse. Randy Waterhouse is, he and his company, they are attempting to build a data haven, right? Yes. For, and, and with that said, you have to forgive me because I'm technologically, I, I don't get technology at all. I don't get it. Um you're lucky I can run a laptop to record our podcast. I So some of the technology stuff in there is lost on me. But they're building a data haven for a fictional country 
And while building the data haven, they end up being sued. Yes. By, by a venture capitalist dentist. By, by, by a venture capitalist dentist. And they discover a submarine filled with Japanese gold. A German submarine. A German, yes, that's, that's correct. It is a German submarine filled with Japanese gold. The third story arc, which is the one that I said takes place in the past, is this story arc of how the Japanese gold ended up in the German submarine, and that character, uh, his name is Goto, D Goto Dengo, and he is probably my favorite character in the entire Dengo's book. hilarious. Uh, well, well, we, we can come back to that. Okay. As a plot synopsis, that's really long and rambly, and it probably won't make sense. And, and we didn't touch base that uh, Randy is working with Doug Shafto. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And Doug Shafto's father is, is Bobby Shafto, and he becomes romantically involved with... America. Her name is America Shafto, although they, they call her Amy. Yeah. Yeah. So these two families, Waterhouses and Shaftos, are intertwined throughout history. And one thing uh, we, we might have mentioned in our introduction, I've never read the other books, but the he, Neil Stevenson has a series of books called The Baroque Cycle. There are three massive tomes. Um, or eight, depending on how they were. Depending on how they were published. Yeah, right. I've read the first two, not the massive ones, the first two individual Okay. Okay. So, the, the, but those three big, massive tomes are called the Baroque Cycle, and they center around the Waterhouse and, and Shafto, Shafto family as well. And they also include a character named Enoch Root, who is an important part of this book, Cryptonomicon, who also occurs in, in Dodge, wasn't it? I, I, I've not read Dodge, but I, I do believe that's the one that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah Enoch Root is a yeah. So, crypt. I, I, in particular, I'm a big fan of postmodern literature. I find this so interesting that he basically, Cryptonomicon is in some ways sort of the centerpiece of Neil Stevenson's world kind building. Of tied stuff together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, it's, and there are I, I you can't see, but I've got little tabs in books, and there are callbacks to the Quicksilver trilogy. See, and again, I haven't read those, so I haven't caught those. But there's like you know talking about. The Shaftos, when they came from England and became sharecroppers, and um, somebody was building something with a computer. I don't have the tab in front of me which one it is, but they were building something and they were using vacuum tubes. But Waterhouse was a guy named Waterhouse was going to do it with Quicksilver. Right. And that was the name of one of the books was Quicksilver. <clears throat> right. So he does I'm, call I'm, back. I may have to read the Baroque Cycle, and those are really long books. Yeah. I, yeah. Because you don't have enough to read. Like, I, you I, should probably yeah. pick up some more. Yeah. I, and I, I've, read, I've read Stevenson before. Um, I think of everything of his I've read, though, Cryptonomicon's my favorite. I, I, I think. And I really with, like, with uh, that said, here's, a, here's an interesting question for you, something to ponder and, and to discuss. Neil Stevenson is well known for his science fiction work. Is this a science fiction novel? I would say the only part of this that could be argued science fiction to me is Enoch Root. Because as far as developing the computer for the Turing, a lot of this stuff is, and Neil Stevenson does this a lot, he has like historical figures in his book. Like I will tell you, Benjamin Franklin makes a very brief appearance. Uh, Isaac Newton is in the, the Baroque cycle. Right. And um, <clears throat> Benjamin Franklin? Yeah, I said Benjamin Franklin, but 
Einstein, I believe, was briefly right. mentioned in here. Yeah, yeah. Einstein's mentioned in here. Yeah, in this book. So he does a there's, little There's actually several real... I mean, aside from Alan Turing, uh, a pre... Hollywood actor Ronald Reagan, while he's still in the military, appear, appears in this book. And uh, one of the best characters in the book is his depiction of Douglas MacArthur. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like a lot of this isn't science fiction. I guess we could argue. And uh, you and I talked about it. We didn't. I, I didn't catch it when I first read it because it wasn't really a thing. But one of the things they're working on is a digital currency to buy stuff online. This and, novel... And the events of this novel and the things that take place in this novel when this novel was published predates actual cryptocurrency. Yeah, which is... Yeah. I guess so now, now it doesn't pop out as a sci-fi thing because we're so used to cryptocurrency. But in 1999, when this book came out, yeah, and that, see, that, I, that wasn't a thing yet. I glossed over that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't remember that. from. And then when I was rereading it, I was like, wait a second. I, I, I think it was something that I texted you at some point during the conversation. And I, I, was, like, yeah, yeah. I was a little bit heavy and yeah. I was like... Yeah, I remember yeah. the same thing. I was like, is this cryptocurrency back in 1999? I think about? one of the, when you divide science fiction into, to, you know, its sub-genres, one of the things that is often considered, that is often considered sci-fi would be alternate history. And there's an element of that to this book. Yeah. The difference between what I would classify as alternate history would a great example of alternate history would be Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle. I was thinking the same thing okay. actually. And in Man in the High Castle, Japanese and Japan and Germany win World War Two. Yes. And now America is basically split between split those between this half of the country is German, this half of the country is so it's an alternate history, an alternate history based on things verifiably that we know did not actually happen. So my problem with considering this as alternate history is that there's nothing in here that we can verify didn't happen. Yeah. I, and see, I don't... I almost put alternate history separate from sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, again, like I just I just don't put this as sci-fi. No. I really don't. I, I, I don't either. If you made me put it anything, alternate history maybe would be... The closest thing I could say. Yeah, alternate history would be the closest thing, but it do, it doesn't it do, that doesn't really match either. And it's it's funny because there's several writers that I really admire that I am reminded of in this book. One of them is Thomas Pynchon. The writing style of this book is very, and I know that you have not read Pynchon, um, but if you like this book, you'll you'll love Pynchon. You'll love it. Love it. And that's and that's that's part of my thing with it. It's it's like because in addition to just his writing style in this book is very Pinchonian, that's the sort of thing that Thomas Pynchon does. Gravity's Rainbow is also about World War II, and it's got real people in it. The real historical figures play a part in the book. Uh, Against the Day is another one that he did. He's got a book called Mason and Dixon, which is about the Mason and Dixon line and the the uh, the journey through America. To, I mean, so he does these. What 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 Neil Stevenson does in this book? Pynchon does as well. Pynchon does as well. No, I would argue that Pynchon does it better. But <laughs> I, I am feeling like a dummy that I have to ask this because okay. of historical things that happened in this book. Yeah. But I am drawing a blank on the name of the operation for when they dumped the soldier into the ocean to have him wash up on shore with the fake plans to set up. I'm drawing a blank on it too. And going back to what you just said. There is a sequence in this book that is 
absolutely breathtaking that is about the destruction of a city. And now I'm blanking on the name of the city in, in Cryptonomicon. Yeah. The, 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 the destruction of the city is, is something that actually happened. Uh, oh my God, I can't remember the name of the city now. <laughs> this is, this but you know, what, you know what it's, 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 yeah. it's I'm talking about. They're 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 uh, Douglas MacArthur's there, and that's it's the sequence where Goto Dingo they, he, they they're hiding him in an outhouse. Yeah, or no, wasn't he in the women's? Yeah, he, yeah, he's in the women's room. Right. And he comes out and he's like, "Oh, he just found God." Yeah, yeah. Baptize him real quick. Goto Dingo's like, "Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah." But they they baptize him and uh, they, they they make him Christian. Yeah, because he's like, "Yeah, but I don't want to die." You're, uh, what are you, you're, Manila. You're, I, you, you, what is it? Oh, man, what is the name of the city? It wasn't Manila. No, it's not Manila. It began with an A. Uh, but that that whole sequence is a is a fictionalized account of uh, of the of, of of the real city. And so, with that said, Douglas MacArthur. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, he's a little different in this book. He's a little different in this book. And I, th I think it's interesting because Neil Stevenson depicts Alan Turing with the utmost respect and honor. And then he depicts Douglas MacArthur and Ronald Reagan both as being cartoonish buffoons. I'm okay with Ronald Reagan being... <laughs> You're okay with Ronald Reagan being a cartoon? Douglas MacArthur in this book kind of comes off a little bit like... Like Lloyd Bridges in Airplane. Yeah, <laughs> they do some really funny stuff. Like as far as I will return and like slapping bumper stickers yeah. on Japanese jeeps. <laughs> Douglas MacArthur, I will return. So, 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 what, what's the what's the point of doing that? Of treating touring with respect, but Douglas MacArthur. I think he values. I think he is trying. I just me guessing. Yeah. Guessing, I'm, I'm thinking Neil Stevenson places more importance on the intelligence aspect of it and the, the mathematics, yeah, and the science and codes of as opposed to the military. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Speaking of codes, there is a lot of cryptography talk in this book. In addition to mathematics, yeah, there is. There's a lot of cryptography talk. I'm a big, I, 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 I like cryptograms, and in the, in the, I, I love them. I do yeah, them. I'm not I, so yeah, good at them. Yeah, so yeah. like, I, I read I like, the appendix at the end, and I was like, yeah. yeah. There's there is a code. There's a code in this book that's done using a deck of cards. Oh, the solitaire encryption algorithm. The, the solitaire encryption algorithm rhythm, which the guy that what is his name? You got to open right there. Bruce Schneer. Schneer created that code for this book. Really? And yeah. And then he does an appendix at the end of the book where he explains exactly how the code works and how you too could do the code with the deck of cards. It's fascinating. Yeah. And it's it's complicated. It, it confused it, me. I'm it, not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah, well, no, in, in the book when he's trying to describe when he's trying to describe what they're doing and how they're communicating with the deck of cards, it's really confusing. Yeah, it, it's it's really confusing. And it's one of those things that I'm Glad that they actually, in the end, just tell you what it said. If I had to sit back and decipher it, you know, portions no of this book would be in code, and I would be angry. There's no way I would. I'd be like going to the Google. I don't know that it's not beyond Neil Stevenson that parts portions of this book aren't already in code. They probably are, and we're probably missing something. <laughs> He's probably going to listen to this and be like, "Those idiots." Um, 
some of these characters I think that we should talk about. Enoch Root, I think, is a really good one. I know you're a big fan of Enoch Root. You you, you texted me at one point and said I really love Enoch Root. He cracks me up. Let's He's, talk about Enoch Root. Uh, just, who is this guy? He just shows up in all these areas. What's his motives? He just sort of magically shows up. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Saves yeah. Bobby Shafto in, in Guadalcanal and... Yep. Then he's running around with him through the European front and ends up with him in Sweden. And then it turns out he's a preacher. Yeah. Somehow. Yep. Somehow. Oh, and then, the whole context and, of and, him and, and Justine and Finland. And then you're blood to believe that he dies. Yes. And then it turns out, lo and behold, in 1999, that he is communicating with Randy via email. Yeah, and you, and you start figuring it out, and you're like, I actually had a friend that she's reading this book, and she was messaging me, and she's like... I think I figured out who this person is. Well, they give it away because his email address is root. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she was asking me, she's like, is this who I think it is or is this another deal where like this is a descendant? Because, you know, you think like maybe this is... Enoch Root's grandson. Right. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's Enoch Root. And he's still running around... Just showing up and saving the day. Yeah. With, with his, his, oh. pull, pulling a bag of whatever. He's got a bag of almost any skill you could imagine. He's good at it already. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's multiple languages. It's, it, it's a very enigmatic character. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the book, you're not really certain how he fits into it. All of that becoming even more confusing to me when I know that he's also involved in these other Stevenson yeah. books. Because I, I, Enoch Root's a really interesting character, and I think Goto Dingo is a really great character, too. Yes, I know. And Goto Dingo is pretty good. Like, his whole journey just... Well, man, the, he went through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and the, the character is Japanese. Let's let's start there. Um, well, he's from Nippon, so he's Nipponese, Japanese, um, and he he's I mean, he's a kamikaze suicide pilot, and the Japanese military believes very strongly in honor and uh, obeying and doing as you're told. And Goto Dengo goes absolutely through hell in order to uphold these ideals doing things that he knows are going to kill him because as a Japanese man he has to yeah um there's a sequence in this book that is completely harrowing when they're digging the tunnels and they're filling the tunnels with water yeah, and he, they're trying to get out. They're trying to get out, and so Goto Dengo has several people that are working for him, and it has been concealed from them that Goto Dengo knows when he goes in that he's not coming out. Yeah, but he finds it important to conceal this fact to the others. So when the tunnels start filling with water, and he's he's trying to escape. Yeah. Convincing them, hey, one more tunnel. One, one more tunnel. Well, 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 that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, he does make it out. He he does make it out. Um, I just think he's a very interesting character, and, and I like that that aspect that Neil Stevenson has thrown in um, of upholding, in particular, when you're talking a, a book about World War II, when you've got you know the Allies versus the Axis powers, one of which would have been Japan. Yeah. And this notion of Goto Dengo is Japanese and is the enemy and is doing things to help the enemy because that is what 
he's born to do. Yeah. And it, it's it's a it's a very interesting character trait. Yeah, and it's funny like he's all these characters are so intertwined. Yeah. So obviously oh. Bobby meets Goto Dingo, Bobby Shafto, you know, being the cocky marine that he is, goes into a Japanese bar before the fighting is truly escalating. Kids <laughs> <laughs> ass kicked, and he's like, "Huh? Can you show me how to fight?" <laughs> and, he, and he tries to show Goto Dingo how to throw a baseball. Well, Goto Dingo. Ends up almost starving on an island and New Guinea. Yeah, <laughs> cannibals, <It's>, uh, cannibals, malaria. <laughs> it's terrible. Goto Dingo uh, floats in the ocean and watches while all of his compatriots get eaten alive by sharks. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. And the, no, he. A couple have made it to the. Uh, I think I'm assuming what was New Guinea, right? And then he a couple of make it. One of them gets. Killed by a snake right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's all foraging for food. And he's like, "Oh, my buddy's gone." And then he finds the village and he watches him, watches the villagers kill and eat the guy. Like, well, guess I'll be hiding now. I, I had mentioned the the conceal about how he was concealing this from them, and concealment to me seems to be a very interesting theme in this book. It, it's from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. When you start with Alan Turing, con, Alan Turing hiding the fact from the public that he's gay yep. to the simple fact that everybody in this book in World War II, everyone in this era is communicating in code to hide the fact of you know what they're saying, concealing. They One of the military jobs, I think it's hysterically funny, uh, one, one of the military jobs for the detachment is to go around and stencil a two over the one. Yeah. Because they have put detachment 2701 on all of their... So their job is to go around to everything that said detachment 2701 and spray paint a two over it, which then turns into another pointless job for someone else because the uh, that person has to get into the garbage and pull out the stencils. Because they're like, they're going to know that the two is the only one and it's like... <laughs> It, the whole, it's it, it, there's there it, it, there's a lot about concealment, and even when you get into the in nineteen into the nineteen nineties, they have found this submarine and they don't want the dentist to know because the dentist will sue them right out of possession of the submarine. And, and the, the other guy has come to them and said, "Hey, I have this job for you, but we can't tell anyone that you know." So, uh, so much of the Enoch Root concealing his identity. I, there, there's so much in this book about concealment, and I don't it's like concealment and the military is stupid seem to be like the the two running teams yeah. that's all fuck <laughs> there's so much stuff and the military I don't know there's so many things like when they're going on quests or like you said there's this pointless stuff to try and conceal like where was it in Italy where they had the uh, cabin yeah and there were literally instructions on how to shovel shit yeah, into yeah, the yeah, yeah. to make it like <laughs> See, and and that was that's funny. You said that because I was I was talking earlier about. Uh, it reminds me of pension. There's a very there's a catch twenty two. I don't know. Have you read Catch Twenty Two? I have okay. not. There, there's a catch twenty two feel to this book as well. Just the pointlessness of all of this. I'm in the military. I'm supposed to be wielding a weapon. I'm supposed to be on foreign shores protecting America and you've got me stenciling twos. Yeah. Or shoveling shit into a dish to make it look like people have been shitting in the dish for weeks. 
Oh. <laughs> I think uh, this. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of strange because, like I said, I had read the book, and I re- and I and I remember really loving it, like yep. reading it. I didn't like it as much this time, and I think, which is not to say that I don't like it, love it, because I do. I, I really, I do. I really think this is a good, is a really, is a really great book, but it didn't resonate with me on a second read like it did with with the, with the first one. Like I read it the first time, yeah. and then we drew this book, and I was like, oh yeah, great, okay, I'll read that again. And I'm sort of like, okay, I've read it twice now. I'm kind of done with it. Yeah. And you know, it being 910 pages is obviously you know a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for repeat reads. Yeah, there aren't too many books this size that I've read multiple times. Mm, I could think of a couple. Lonesome Duff. Lonesome Duff. Yeah. Um, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. For me, I would probably say Les Mis would be the only one that comes to mind off the top of my head that I've read multiple times. It's probably... that's, that's 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 this big. Uh, no, yeah. you know what? The Malazan series. So I was reading those years and years ago. And I got through the first three books, and then I went back to get my bachelor's degree, so I didn't have time to read. And I don't think you you read the first one, and it wasn't for you. But there are so many characters that Mm -hmm. when I did finish school and I had time to read again, I went back and reread the first three books. Yeah. So those are ones I've revisited. Yeah. And see, I did that with Game of Thrones. I reread when the third book came out... Well, the fourth book had come out, and I had not read the third book yet, so I went back and reread books one and two. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a book this size doesn't, yeah, and doesn't really lend itself to rereading. And this one does kind of get a little more dated now. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Some of the themes and stuff. You know, the whole, oh, we're going to have video we're going to have videos recording and then when the bandwidth is low then we'll transmit the larger video files yeah. and it's like in 1999 that was probably a pretty big idea now we're like whatever dude yeah <laughs> if you don't mind I'm going to read this section of the book I'm not going to read that you know it's it's probably a seven six seven page section but I'm going to read part of this because I really love the way that he writes it And uh, this is Randy Waterhouse uh, making his breakfast. Randy takes the red box and holds it securely between his knees with the handy stay-closed tab pointing away from him. Using both hands in unison, he carefully works his fingertips underneath the flap, trying to achieve equal pressure on each side, paying special attention to places where too much glue was laid down by the gluing machine. For a few long, tense moments, nothing at all happens, and an ignorant or impatient observer might suppose that Randy is getting nowhere. But then the entire flap pops open in an instant as the entire glue front gives way. Randy hates it when the box top gets bent or, worst of all possible worlds, torn. The lower flap is merely tacked down with a couple of small glue spots, and Randy pulls it back to reveal a translucent inflated sack. The halogen downlight recessed in the ceiling shines through the cloudy material of the sack to reveal gold. Everywhere, the glint of gold. Randy rotates the box 90 degrees and holds it between his knees so its long axis is pointed at the television set, then grips the top of the sack and carefully parts its heat-sealed seam, which purrs as it gives way. Removal of the somewhat milky plastic barrier causes the individual nuggets of Captain Crunch to resolve under the halogen light, with a kind of preternatural crispness and definition that makes the roof of Randy's mouth glow and throb in trepidation. 
On the TV, the dancing instructors have finished demonstrating the basic steps. It is almost painful to watch them doing the compulsories because when they do, they must willfully forget everything they know about advanced ballroom dancing and dance like persons who have suffered strokes or major brain injuries that have wiped out not only the parts of their brain responsible for fine motor skills, but also blown every panel in the aesthetic discretion module. They must, in other words, dance the way their beginning pupils like Randy dance. The gold nuggets of Captain Crunch pelt the bottom of the bowl with a sound like glass rods being snapped in half. Tiny fragments spall away from their corners and ricochet around on the white porcelain surface. World-class cereal eating is a dance of fine compromises. The giant heaping bowl of sodden cereal awash in milk is the mark of the novice. Ideally, one wants the bone-dry cereal nuggets and the cryogenic milk to enter the mouth with minimal contact and for the entire reaction between them to take place in the mouth. Randy has worked out a set of mental blueprints for a special cereal-eating spoon that will have a tube running down the handle and a little pump for the milk so that you can spoon dry cereal up out of a bowl, hit a button with your thumb, and squirt milk into the bowl of the spoon even as you are introducing it into your mouth. Mm. The next best thing is to work in small increments, putting only a small amount of Captain Crunch in your bowl at a time and eating it all up before it becomes a pit of loathsome slime, which in the case of Captain Crunch takes about 30 seconds. That's uh, that, that's not the whole bit. No, <laughs> it goes on. <laughs> but he talks about like positioning it in his teeth and everything. You, you know, it's funny that I noticed in this this time too that I never realized because I do I love Captain Crunch. I never realized that they were treasure chests. Yeah, I, I, see, I don't know much Captain Crunch because I am weird for a lot of reasons, Aaron. And one of which is I don't I never like, noticed. Yeah, I never noticed. I don't like milk on my cereal, so I eat a lot of my cereal dry. Captain Crunch is not. <laughs> Not a good idea for eating that dry. <laughs> There's actually a whole bit in here where he talks about uh, positioning it within his yeah, teeth. But Randy has, over time, worked out a really fiendish Captain Crunch eating strategy that revolves around playing the Nuggets' most deadly features against each other. The Nuggets themselves are pillow-shaped and vaguely striated to echo piratical treasure chests. Now, with a flake type of cereal, Randy's strategy would never work. But then Captain Crunch in a flake form would be suicidal madness. It would last about as long when immersed in milk as snowflakes sifting into a deep fryer. <laughs> his, his, uh, we, uh, we should talk about the humor in this book. Neil Steve, it's, he's, he's very funny. I, uh, I, I did a couple of my favorite ones here. That I, I, one of them uh, was Yamamoto. And when he was attacked, and he's talking about the Americans and how crude they are yeah, for naming yeah. their planes and stuff. <laughs> and one of my favorite lines is, if they he talked about how they painted women on there and stuff. If they had samurai swords, Americans would probably decorate the blades with <laughs> nail polish. <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but that one really made me laugh. The, the humor, it's very subtle, but it's also very snarky. It's, it's very snarky. <laughs> yeah, talking about a submarine battery. As has always been the case, and will continue to be the case for at least another half century, batteries suck. <laughs> <laughs> Just little, little one-liners he throws. I like the. Uh, there's a bit when he talks. Well, it, 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 it's pretty crude. He's arguing with Amy, and uh, he's talking. All hell's breaking loose. They're basically arguing, and she says something um, to the effect of about how she had talked to her parents about him. And he, uh, here, I'll, I'll look for it here. And the, the, do they ever really, I don't remember them introducing Amy's mom. No. Oh, yeah, they do. It's, it, yeah, it's, he goes, Doug goes to a, a dance. And he helps her climb the stairs. He helps the little boy climb the steps. 
that turns out to be his son. Are you talking about Amy's mom? Oh, no, no, okay, no, Amy's mom. No, yeah. no, no, you're right, they never do. So this says, uh, here we go. I sent email from Glory, Amy says. To whom? The Shafto mailing list. God, Randy says, slapping himself in the face. What did this email say? Can't remember, Amy says, that I was headed for California. I might have made some kind of backhanded remark about a young man I wanted to talk to. I was kind of upset at the time, and I can't remember exactly what I said. I think he said something like, I'm going to California where Randall Lawrence Waterhouse, who has AIDS, is going to forcibly sodomize me upon arrival. No. No, Randy. It was nothing of the kind. <laughs> yeah. And then, the, the, what were those two Shafto boys' names? Um, they were, uh, oh, they were generals. Um, oh, I can't remember now. There was, oh, that's going to bug me now. You're going to look it up? Thank you. No, I'm trying to find the name of that city. It's bugging me. It's like I read this book, and um, we're, we're talking about this book and about how great this book is, but we can't remember the names of any of the cities. Well, that's probably when you read too many books. Yeah. Like, the little details, gone. Um, they had so many good little one-liners and quips. One of my favorite scenes is when they decide when Grandma, which would have been uh, Lawrence's wife, passes away. Yes. And, and Randy wants this treasure chest because... It's got these uh, computer cards that might hold the secret to the Japanese gold in the German submarine. Hold some of that. And so they create an XY axis because the water houses are all very mathematically inclined. And they meet in this big parking lot and you have to place the object based on what you think its monetary value is and its right. sentimental value. <laughs> and then they even have a formula so you can't just... And it's hilarious to watch like these him trying to vie with it. I believe it was his aunt because he wanted the chest, and the aunt knew that he wanted the chest, and playing them against each other. Oh, good times. The uh, oh, man, I, I'm I'm, try, I'm sorry. I'm trying to find the name of the city because this sequence is really really well done. And it, and it was and, th and then I looked I looked the city up and it was it was an actual it was an actual city and th the city still stands. Now, they had to rebuild the entire city after World War II because this city had been destroyed. It's, in, it's a Spanish missionary. Spanish missionary city. Yeah, and then that's... And then Enoch Root is somehow now out in the Philippine forest. Well, because Enoch Root is everywhere. <laughs> Enoch Root is... He's Enoch Root. Like, you can't... You can't figure him out. So, a general question. Okay. Hopefully I can answer. We're, we're pulling this book from a list of 1,316 essential books that you must read before you die. Yes. Do you think this book belongs on the list? This? Yes, Cryptonomicon. Does it belong on the list of essential books that you must read before you die? Kind of pains me to say this because I do like this book. But no. I agree with you. I don't think that while I like this book a lot and there are flaws we haven't really talked some uh, some of the things oh yeah there's there's just let's talk about them now there's they're very distinct flaws um, some of it uh, some of it is also you have to you have to think about the time period that he's writing about yes but there's a lot of misogyny in this book there's a lot of racism in yes. this book yes and there's you know I don't know Neil Stevenson personally, so I don't know how racist or misogynistic he is in real life, but 
some of the attitudes that are presented in the book are are, are, are bothersome. Yeah, my friend, what, I had a, a friend and messaged me, and she said he writes like a sixteen-year-old computer geek that never talked to a woman, and I'm like. <laughs> Not a bad, not a bad analogy at all. So, and and with that said, the only really, the only real female character in the book is Amy Shafto, and she's the least developed one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Grandma Waterhouse is not really developed. Nope. Justine was more of a plot point. Right. Uh, who else is out there? There was like a. Uh, there's a couple other that they're like a smaller off, spot. They, they show up to have sex with the characters and wander off. Yep. So that that argument is definitely valid. Well, and yes, yeah. So uh, and again, you, you you're you're talking about a writer writing about the 1940s. Yes. Where sexist and racist attitudes would have been prevalent. So to find that sort of content in here is not necessarily the problem. The problem kind of comes in when I can't, as a reader, decide if this is Neil Stevenson or if this is Neil Stevenson's characters. Does that does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about. It. I, I think about it in a, in a in sort of a theater analogy with you know my background in theater and acting and playing roles that are completely and utterly opposed to everything that I actually believe in and it's I, I've, I've played some sickos yeah. <laughs> and there's a there's a dividing line in you know playing that kind of character but then not being like that on stage. And when you get off stage and you're being interviewed, you make very clear in the things that you say and the things that you do that this is a character that I'm playing, this is a role that I play, and I don't personally feel this way. That's much harder to do with a novel. And Because your natural tendency is to write aspects of yourself in these characters because that's what you're familiar with that's what you know and as a reader your natural tendency is to assume that that's what they did yes so it then it then it, it begs the question then is neil stevenson racist is neil, neil stevenson a misogynist i would uh i don't know i'm trying to think the and, and and we'll be clear the racism in this book is i, w- I would say mild in just that it's particular races referred to repeatedly by slurs. And the argument can be made that was what those characters would have said in that time period, right. especially in that context. Right. You know, this is the enemy. Yeah. You're not going to... Right. Yeah. Well, you're, you're fighting Japs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the misogyny, I will say that reading some of his other books, mm-hmm. the theme is there. Okay. Um did you ever read Snow Crash? I did read Snow Crash. That's that's honestly that's the one that I I, th- I thought of first. Yeah, yeah, with the hero protagonist, and I can't remember. Well, this. it's such a, misogyny is such a is such a prevalent thing in science fiction in general. Yes, it's that's and you know and you you look at some of these writers. You, you take a uh, someone like uh, Robert Heinlein. I mean. Robert Heinlein is a god to a lot of people, and at the end of his career, he was 
a dirty old man. He yes. was writing. It was basically science fiction porn by the end of his career. Yeah, you and I have talked about it. The it, it misogyny is 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 not new to science fiction, which is honestly when I take the the, the books I was talking about earlier. It's nice now to see there's a good number of science fiction writers who are female that are kind of turning that, you know, Becky Chambers, you know, being one. Uh, Emily St. Jane Mandel is another one that, uh, you know, she's a science fiction writer and she's, she's writing, I don't want to say science fiction for women, but she's writing science fiction that's not misogynistic. Marlon James, uh, who wrote the, I've recommended the books to you before, uh, the Black Leopard, Red Wolf, uh, his main character is, you know, is, is it's basically if Conan the Barbarian were a female. I mean, it, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you said that because I think that that's an interesting point to break up, bring up, especially if people are interested in reading this book based on anything that we say. Uh, the, the misogyny is there. And given the context of the book and what they're writing about, I think the misogyny is less forgivable than the racism. Yes. Um, it's kind of like if you are if you go back and you read Tom Sawyer now. Right. Or Huckleberry Finn. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's there. Yeah. Well, there was a whole... This is, this is sort of pseudo-related. There was a whole... Um, one of my favorite writers when I was a kid was Roald Dahl, who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and The Great yep. Glass Elevator. And he's been in the news recently because they've released these new versions of the books... And they've gone in and, like, when they describe Augustus Gloop, they removed the word fat. So he's no longer described as fat. And so it's sort of like they're, they're, they're basically censoring these books to make them palatable for more sensitive modern artists. Or for more sensitive modern readers, not artists, uh, but readers. I'm not a fan of that. I, no, I'm not either. And I, and I think that... Well, it doesn't make it okay. Right. That's the way that things were, you know, 50 years ago. I think it's important to acknowledge that. I think for today's audiences, if you want today's audiences, a, a Cryptonomicon is a good example, okay? If you want today's audiences to read Cryptonomicon and feel what you what the writer intended for you to feel towards these characters, you cannot edit out the word Japs. No. <laughs> you can't. You, there's, there's an intention in, in wanting a reader to feel a certain way about these characters. And, and they were definitely, like I mentioned earlier, this is the way... Right. Marines would have talked in World War II. This is the way the Marines would have talked in World War II. This is the way Marines would have been trained to talk in World War II. That was a little tough to talk about sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I always worry about tackling these topics. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think the common, I don't know, my common belief is, a little side tangent here is, as, as a middle-aged white male, my job is to take up as little room as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but and, I do think it's important for people that if you are going to read this book to know that it is there. Yeah. Um, we would like to at least acknowledge that. So we do. Mm -hmm. Do people, oh, you love this book? And it was 
we're aware it's there. <laughs> you recommended this book full of racist slurs. Yeah, no, it, it, we're, we're aware that it's there. And, and I think, you know, and again, and again you, you mentioned Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. They, for many years, were publishing that book and replacing the N-word with the word slave. So that Jim was referred to throughout the book as Slave Jim, Slave Jim, Slave Jim. And I understand doing that for like an audience to, to you know to draw in an audience that wouldn't normally quote unquote be allowed to read that book but taming the language down loses the impact of how you're supposed to feel about the way this man is treated yes I, yeah I, I don't know um, so you said you don't think so I don't think so either I don't think this book is essential I do enjoy it I do recommend it, with the caveat of that it's not for everybody. But I don't understand the need for this to be considered essential. With that said, I can tell you I own the original, uh, the original copy of um, One Thousand One Books You Must Read Before You Die, and this book is not on that list. So this was added later. This was added later. Interesting. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of confused by that because Stevenson, Stevenson's a name. Yeah. There, there's, there's, there's some weight to that name. He, he's, he's a pretty prolific author. He's a pretty prolific author. He's a fairly important author, and you know, in this day and age. Why this? Why this book? And I'm surprised. And I guess this. Co- you and I both read heavy sci-fi. Right. Like, that is probably the genre we read the most. So, Snow Crash is often considered... One of the first cyberpunk. Yeah. yeah, one of the big, important sci-fi novels. Right. So, naturally, you almost wonder, like, why they didn't put Snow Crash on there. Well, the, the, you and I have already discussed how the list is very light on science fiction. It, it very much is. <laughs> and it, it kind of makes me wonder, it's like... We, so want, we want to include wanted, Stevenson. And then what was the most palpable to general audience? But that wouldn't be this book. This book is so hard to read. Which one of his would you say, if you were going to pick one, for general audience? Not sci-fi. I would, honestly, if it were me, I wouldn't be including Stevenson on the list. I don't think anything he's written is... Th- that important that it must be read before you die. And if we were going to pick one, it would be it would be Snow Crash. Snow Crash is, I mean, I, obviously he didn't invent cyberpunk, but it's one of the first major ones. That's one of the first major ones. It made it made cyberpunk a household word. Yep. And feel bad dogging on because I do love the author a lot. Like I've yeah. read, I I don't think I've read everything he's written, but I've read. A lot of what he's written, and I will recommend this to people. Well, and it's it's kind of like what I'd said earlier about about Pynchon too. Everything about this book that really strikes me as being really unique, really unique. Oh, like here, here we go. Here's a great. This is I, I love the the way he uses real people in a fictional. Yeah, he's not the first person to do that. Oh no, he's certainly not the best. You know the way that he rewrites history. You know that that's very interesting and very unique. He he's not the first person to do that, and he's certainly not the best. And the things about this book that make it a science fiction novel date the book. And this um, is clearly a book written in 1999. Yeah, and 
that is unfortunately the the problem with a lot of sci-fi is it ends up dating itself really quickly. Yeah, yeah. As soon as it's now 1982. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Blade Runner was like 20. What what year is it in Blade Runner? Is it 2023 in Blade no, Runner? No, no. Blade Runner that year would have already happened. I can't remember the exact year, but it's already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Any general thoughts on this book in closing? Um, I did have an exercise I wanted to do from an old book club. Okay. And I recommended this to you. Okay. Do you not know where I'm Is this going? Is something with fun? I think so. Okay. Do you not know where I'm going with this? Oh, I do know where you're going with this. Uh, All right. I do. I do. So I had a book club that I was in, and they always would like send out the questions. And the first time I was, before I went, I was looking at the questions, and I'm like, this was dumb. I, I looked forward to it then every time. And that is cast this book. Like it's being a TV okay. show, it's going to be a movie. We're going to turn Cryptonomicon into a movie or a TV series. Who do we cast in these roles? Because it's fun to me. Like, Because then I start thinking like, oh, that's how you picture Brandy Waterhouse yeah. looking? Yeah. So I didn't do too many. And you will be better at this than me because you obviously watch movies. I watch, yeah, I, I watch movies. You're, you're, you're going to come up with somebody really obscure, and I'll be like, yeah, this is Christopher Walken, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, Christopher Walken is Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> Acceptable. I can't. I don't. I don't think I can top that one. <laughs> Christopher Walken plays Douglas MacArthur. I, I am perfectly fine with that casting. Okay. So who's your first one? Uh, Bobby Shafto. Bobby Shafto. I have an obvious one who okay. I picture when I read Cryptonomicon. Bobby Shafto is Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. And see, mm -hmm. I like Jeremy Renner for that if Jeremy Renner was a little bit younger. Because I picture Bobby Shafto... Yeah, but I think of like Hurt Locker, Jeremy Renner. Okay. <laughs> so I tried to... I might, I might change how I do this in uh -huh. the future and say, you know, this actor, but maybe around this era. Yeah. So... For Bobby Shafto, I had a guy named Aramis Knight. Um, he was in, in, in the, the Badlands bad and Miss yeah, Marvel. The bad and so he had he very much has a fight choreography style to him. Yes. However, my only and I, and I like him and I really like Into the Badlands. He his look is just ethnic enough. To keep him from effectively being cast as a United States Marine during World War II. That is true with the whole Nisi Battalion. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good actor, though. Yeah. That one I struggled with because like, I felt like I would be able to cast that one really easy. And then every, every time I was like, eh, eh. But Jeremy Renner, Hurt Locker era is a good choice. <laughs> I think you win that casting. So, so far, you've won two. Um, Lawrence Pritchard, Waterhouse. Okay. See, Lawrence Pritchard Waterhouse is interesting because the book doesn't even really make clear how old he is. No. Again, I picture him in early 20s. Uh, how yeah. old was Alan Turing during World War II? Because they went to college together. Yeah. And honestly, with Alan Turing, I immediately think of... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Exactly. He, he was so good uh, in that movie. <laughs> so, with that said, if we cast Benedict Cumberbatch again as Alan Turing... Someone right around the same age that does the same sort of thing effectively for Lawrence Waterhouse. Um, wow. 
It's really funny because Benedict Cumberbatch is who I picture. Um, I did too, and then I yeah, was like, uh, but I couldn't pick him. No, same reason. He, because he'd be out on touring. Uh, oh my gosh. But again, he's too old. I will tell you mine. I went to Game of Thrones and I chose Isaac Hempstead Wright. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 from yeah, yeah. Bran. Yeah, because Bran. I, I picture yeah. Lawrence Pritchard Waterhouse. I picture the typical math nerdy guy. Right. Z, and yeah, yeah, he, yeah. You you might win that one because the ones that are popping into my head would obviously be too old because one that pops into my head and would be hysterically great in that role would be Robert Downey Jr. Oh, he would. But he's too old. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you win that one. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I think of is too old. And I, like I said, I didn't do too many of these characters because, I mean, there's, there's a lot. Um, Randy. Who would you have for Randy? Randy's Randy is Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd is again probably slightly too old but that look is how I picture Randy Waterhouse see I picture, picture a guy and again this is going to be an obscure one because you know a guy named Patrick Gilmore and he was in a show called The Travelers I don't know that it was a Netflix show and basically the future is crap and so they send people back in time, but when they send somebody back in time, they have to take over a body, which effectively kills the host. So what they're doing is they're sending people back. Um, what is his name? Will from Will and Grace. What is that actor's name? The played uh, Will. Will. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. I do know who you're talking about. He was the main character in this show, and so his character in that show, the original was going to fall down an elevator shaft. So right before he falls down, the future beams. So this Patrick Gilmore... I'm, I'm, you're selling me on Patrick Gilmore. I just looked him up, and he was on Eureka. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know who he is. And so yeah. I feel like he's kind of got that mm -hmm. techie background. Yeah. And he doesn't... But he's also good-looking. Yeah. Yeah. But not like... Not like Jeremy Renner. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. This guy's no. He's not a heartthrob. He's yeah. just good-looking. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Gloria had one that I want to use just because I love her. She's been in a lot more stuff lately. Gemma Chan from The Eternals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's for, for Glory? Yeah. Again. Uh, You'd have to go younger with it. Yeah. The thing is, again, Gemma Chan's ethnic looking enough that she doesn't quite... Fit the Filipino. Does it? Filipina. Well... I will say that I did... Gloria, Gloria is... I mean, Gloria is Filipina, though. Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. to Google Filipina actresses, and there was a lot that I was like, man, I really don't watch many TVs and movies. So, like, from the critically came movie, and I'm like, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't. I have another fun casting, though. Uh-huh. So, for Douglas Shafto... Okay. Dave Bautista, who is it's, actually... Dave, Dave, Bautista, Dave Bautista would be really funny, and and that's and he can do serious. We've he, seen it. Well, and that's the thing because Dave Bautista is I, I he's got the, he's got the size, he's got the and I believe it's his mom who's Filipina. Yes, he is. He is also uh, part part Filipino, and Bautista has this uncanny ability to say the most absurd, ridiculous thing with the straightest of face. Yeah, and. 
I was sold on him as an actor. Like Guardians, he was fun. Yeah. But when he was in Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. So when he got cast in a Dune movie, I was just like. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember a lot of people being like, Dave Bautista in Dune. And then I watched it. I walked out of Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. I actually. I remember I actually double checked because I was like, I am 99% sure that, that <laughs> that's Drax. <laughs> man, was that a great acting job. So I think he would be funny in that role. Like he could bring, like, especially as, as Randy is. Trying to flirt with Amy just to have a Dave Batista type <laughs> Doug Shafto just like staring down. <laughs> why are you looking? Why are you, why are you touching my daughter? Right? Yeah, like, you're too okay. dumb. You're too dumb to date my daughter. I have who is in my mind the perfect Enoch Root. Okay, because I think I have a good one too. Okay. My caveat to that though is it depends on what era I'm allowed to choose from. Okay. Because current, not so good. Late nineties, early two thousands. John Goodman. John Goodman. Interesting. I'm talking like Barton Fink era. John Goodman. You know, Big Lebowski yeah. era. John Goodman. You know who I picked? Who? Neil McDonough. Oh, because I love. Oh him. yeah, with he those has, icy blue eyes, and he has this distinct. How old is Neil McDonough? Yeah, he was. Did you ever watch Justified? Uh, no. Oh, he was creepy on Justified. He can be creepy. <laughs> How old is Neil McDonough? Do you know? No. 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 He's another one. He's, he's, he's like... He's... That's why I like him for this role, because he could pull off a younger Enoch Root in World War II. And, and then, then older. A little bit older and still... Like, and still, and still make, look the same. And make yeah. you go, yeah. How old is this guy? Yeah, that's, he's a good one. That, that's a good one. What about Goto Dingo? Goto Dingo. I have a guy named Kinto Yamazaki. Who's been in a couple things? Um, uh, that name sounds familiar to me. I watch a lot of Japanese film. Um, he was known for Orange, Heroin Disqualified. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Now, with that said, um, he is not Japanese. He is Taiwanese. But the actor Tony Leung... Um, well, he was born in Tokyo. Who? Oh, Yamazaki was? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Tony Leung. Well, you would know Tony Leung because he was the father in... Uh, uh, Remember, I haven't seen too many movies. Shang-Chi. Okay, yes. Yeah. 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 He is in... One of my favorite directors, and yeah, to people that listen, I watch a lot of Asian movies. Um, one of my favorite directors is Wong Kar-Wai. And he and Tony Leung... They, Tony Leung is a, is a muse to Wong Kar Wai. They do a lot of movies together. And Tony Leung was the Grandmaster. He played Ip Man in okay. the movie about Ip Man. And then he was uh, Shang-Chi's father, the, yes. the Mandarin, in, in the Shang-Chi movie. Yeah. So that is, a, that is a fun little exercise. Well, I don't think we could do it for every single book, but yeah. One more we, we should do. Uh-huh. America. See it again? Because America the, is so underdeveloped. And part of the issue is, so America, I'm assuming... Was she raised in Kentucky? Hey. So, like, who is America's mom? Is America three-quarters Caucasian, or is she three-quarters Filipino? Because her dad, Doug, is obviously Bobby and Glory. Right. 
but we never find out who Doug, I don't know if he's married, whatever, who Amy's mother is. So she could be a Caucasian woman, she could be... So for me, I actually found two well-known actresses that have Filipino descent. Okay. Both of them, you know. Okay. Vanessa Hudgen. Yes. Haley Steinfeld. Ooh, yeah. Okay, she can be... Anything. She can do whatever she wants. I love her. <laughs> she was so good at Hawkeye. She can play Bobby Shafto. I'd let her play Bobby Shafto. She, <laughs> she, stole, she stole Hawkeye from Jeremy Renner. I'd, I'd let her play Bobby Shafto. <laughs> but, so yeah, those are the ones I came up with. But it is a fun little thing to do. Yeah, that is, that, that is a fun... It, and like I said, it wouldn't work like, for every book, but that, that, is, that, is a fun, that is a fun little exercise. Picture and it book. also, with that said too, when people read the, if people read the book after our discussion on it, now they've got something in there. They're like... <laughs> Why am I picturing Neil McDonough? Yeah, we, we've ruined we've ruined America Shafto for them. Yeah, well, America Shafto um, deserved better. So, with that said, in closing, I think before we before we pick our next book, because okay. that's that's actually our closing, and I'm going to tell you right now, if this next book is 910 pages long, we're going to have a problem. Oh well. <laughs> so you're putting it on me. Well, you can do the number, the random number generator, and I will scroll through and I will find you. Okay, but before we do that, I want to repeat and reiterate that Rodney and I are both really all about the discussion for this. If you've read Cryptonomicon, you have anything that you might want to say about Cryptonomicon, if you have anything you might want to say about something that we've said about Cryptonomicon, or if you have anything to say or add or contribute to uh, whatever book we may be picking next. Rodney and I are not opposed to, in the future, having a guest with us on our show. If we pick The Great Gatsby, and you're an expert on The Great Gatsby, and you've read the book 300 times, send us a message. We we might be able to make arrangements to have have you join us for our discussion. Well, it's bad that you picked that one, because I have a friend that is just, like, chomping at the bit. For us to get The Great Gatsby? You know what? I, I... before we get before we pick a book, I have to tell you, okay? I had many people respond to me with their thoughts and their input on our first episode and our rapport and the list and our books and every one of those people, every one of those people that messaged me, with the exception of two, said in their message in some way, shape, or form, you do what you can to make Rodney read Lonesome Dove. I have an idea, and I'm going to put you on the spot. On the okay. Air. On the air. On the oh, air. no. Yes, I have read Lonesome Dove. Here's, here's, <laughs> let's do some quick math. Okay. 12 months in a year. 12 months in a year. 12 books. 12 books. How do you feel? Six random books. Aaron Polk picks a book off the list. Six, or I'm sorry, so we do five random books. Mm-hmm. My math is wrong. This is why yeah. Stevenson's the math guy and I'm not. Yeah. So we do five books randomly. You pick a book. The sixth book of the year, Aaron, Bolk, Aaron Polk picks the book off the list. I just pick one off the list. Yes. One that I think Roddy needs to read this book. Yes. Okay. I do, and then we do five books, and then I pick one. And I say, this book is on the list. I've read it. Aaron hasn't. Let's do this one. And that way, rather than completely, because there might be books on this list that one of us really wants to get to, yeah. and the chances are, are less than 0.1%. <laughs> no, I like this idea. 
Because I, I know of things on this list that I'm like, yeah, Ronnie should read this. So, do we want to sit on that? Or is that a plan? No, I think that's a plan. I think, I think that's... I'll let you I, go first. I, I, so, well, this one will be a random. We'll do five random. Okay. And then you pick one off the list. Okay. Now, with that said, Lonesome Dove is not on the list. Lonesome Dove is part of my six. six. <laughs> so, you could bribe me. And I'll pick one that I know you hate. And then he'll be like, Beto! Lonesome Dove is. And who knows? We might get to the Lonesome Dove sooner. Yeah. Yep. I just, I, I know everyone kept telling me he, Rodney needs to read Lonesome Dove. Rodney will read Lonesome Dove. Okay. All right. I hope so. It's a beautiful book. All right. So here we go. Entering into Google. Random number generator 1 through 1,316. By the way, on the off chance that it does happen, I'm assuming we just re-roll if we get Cryptonomicon again. If we get Cryptonomicon again, I don't, I yeah. Well, it's we, like we 100%. have to. Yeah. Or do we want to just take that off? No, let's leave it on the list. Yep, yep, it, it's on the In list. In case we ever share that link with somebody and they yep. want to see the books. Yeah. All right, so random number, Google, 1 through 1,316. Ooh, you're going to have to do some scrolling. 974. 974, 974. Scrolling, scrolling. 974 is... I don't even know what this is, Rodney. What do you mean? That's I've never good. heard of this book before. That's not good. It's called The Radetzky March by Joseph Roth. I've never even heard of this writer. I know Philip Roth. Yeah. I love Philip Roth. I think you had me read a Philip Roth. I'm trying to remember which one it was, or I read it on my own. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, okay, so now we have to Google The Radetzky March. Yeah. Um, oh, there it is, by Joseph By Joseph Roth. Radetzky March is a 1932 family saga novel by Joseph Roth uh -oh. that chronicles the decline and fall of Austria-Hungary via the story of the Trotta family. Okay. Originally published in 1932. Oof. So almost 100 years old. Almost 100 years old. The important question, do they have a page count on there? Uh, well, let me... Here, it's on Google. Or Amazon. Everything's on Amazon. What are you talking about? This says the page count is 352 pages. I'm in. <laughs> so, okay. So, I, don't, I, I, I literally have never heard of this writer before. So, I'm going to uh, Google Joseph Roth. Okay? Because I've never heard of Joseph Roth. And I've never heard of this book. So, Joseph Roth, it says, Joseph Roth... Moses Joseph Roth was an Austrian Jewish journalist and novelist, best known for his family saga, Radetzky March, about the decline and fall of the Austro-Hungary Empire. Okay. Which is kind of funny because I actually have family descendant, which is the area that they're from. Sometimes it was their Czech, sometimes they were Austrian, sometimes they were Hungarian, depending on where the borders were drawn. Well, okay. This is the, my gut instinct with this book, honestly. If I was at the library and I pulled this title off the shelf because I said that title looks interesting, and then I read this description of what the book was about, I'd probably put it back on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So this would definitely be stepping a little bit out of comfort zone. Yep. I'm not going to veto it, though. Uh, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not either. We're, 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 we're too early into this to veto. It's, that's interesting, though. It's, it's 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 certainly going to be an about face from Cryptonomicon. Yeah. It sounds like. Uh, although interestingly, this although, this does say 
that this is one of, what I'll read to you what it said, I don't know if I can pull it back up. It said that this book is one of the earliest examples. Radetzky March, Radetzky March is an early example of a story that features the recurring participation of a real historical figure. Oh, so we'll have that theme again. We'll have that theme again. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so those of you who are following along, our next book is going to be Radetzky March, written by Joseph Roth. We have to pull up the calendar. Uh, we have, I guess, basically four weeks. Sometimes we'll end up with five, depending on the month. But we're planning to the second Wednesday of every month, which means April 12th. That would drop on April 12th. So Rodney and I have, is that four weeks? Yeah, that's not bad. I can read that. One, two, three, four, five. No, that's not right at all. Math is hard. Yeah. Economicon okay. March eighth is the second Wednesday of the month, right? Uh, yeah. 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 This episode is dropping on March eighth. That's the second Wednesday. So then the second Wednesday. Oh, see, because what happens is April first is a Saturday, so the second Wednesday becomes April twelfth. Hmm. Which means we're actually going to have five weeks with this book. Okay. Okay. Good, because it sounds boring. <laughs> May surprise you. It might surprise me. It, it might surprise me. With all of that said, please make sure you send us an email if, if you would like at justincasewediepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find our webpage at justincasewediepod.com. And uh, you can find us on Goodreads. You can also find us on Goodreads. Aaron's is, I will say, Aaron is better at updating his Goodreads and leaving reviews. My <laughs> reviews are usually just how many stars, and that's all you get. <laughs> We're hungry for discussion. We are. We, I mean, we enjoy talking to each other, too, but. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron's not a bad guy. Oh, uh, no, Ronnie's sometimes all right. <laughs> I, I would say Ronnie Johnson. Not a complete asshole. <laughs> we would like to thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy.